This is Scott. This is Rebecca. And we're the CEOs of Hardy, Party of Five. And a half. It's not really a company, it just sounds cool. And if you're looking for a normal family, well, you've certainly come to the wrong place. So keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and let's see where this roller coaster takes us. Hey, Scott. Hey. I got a joke for you. You have a joke for me. What do you call a pig that does karate? What do you call a pig that does karate? Karate chop? A pork chop. A pork chop. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, my joke hmm. fell flat, but our guest today has a lot of really great jokes that do not ever fall flat. And you know him personally. Tell us about him. I do. It's David Wilk. He has emceed many, many shows that I've done in the corporate world, mm -hmm. and he's great at it. And he's always funny. He always gives you everything he has. And I hope he has a better joke than that one. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> I think he probably does. I bet he does. He's an entrepreneur. They started Four Day Weekend here in Fort Worth. Oh, gosh, 1997. So how many years ago was that? 23, 23. 24 years ago? What is Four Day Weekend? Four Day Weekend is improv comedy. Okay. And uh, he's going to tell us what that's all about. All right. But it's really interacting with the crowd and kind of creating a show with the crowd's help, with the audience's help. Okay, well, I can't wait to meet him. You've talked about him for years. So without further ado, let's meet Dave Wilk. Let's do it. Okay, welcome to the show, Dave Wilk. I am excited to meet you because I hear a lot about you because you and Scott do a lot of work together. And I guess you do a lot of, what do you, what do you call that when you do on shows MC? with Scott? MC, is that what it's called? Yeah. And yes, an MC. Who knew that was a thing? <laughs> Apparently, it's <laughs> my whole life, Rebecca. All I ever wanted to do was introduce successful people. So this worked out so well for me. Well, you know, so that's so what well. we've wanted to do our whole life, and today we're getting to do that. That's right. We're we're introing the great Dave Wilkes. So. We are. Uh, this is so odd that somebody else is introducing me. <laughs> Normally, should I introduce myself, or ladies and gentlemen, now coming to the podcast, uh, please welcome David Will. <laughs> you actually, on the on the shows, he does introduce himself before he comes out. Oh, we should have somebody yeah. do that for him. <laughs> We're gonna I do. I always give myself some fake title, because, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome MC Magazine, Mr. October. <laughs> <laughs> Every time it's a different, uh, different made-up title and I'm like, I wonder if anybody's listening. <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. Are they actually catching what my title is this time? Right. Yeah. yeah. So what okay, what is improv? I was literally talking to someone at lunch today. They didn't know what that was. What so explain. What is improv? Well it's very confusing because you have a national chain of very famous stand up clubs called the improv. So but that's not what it is. Right. So improvisation is creating on the fly. There's no script, nothing's rehearsed, nothing's practiced. It's just building on the pertinent information of your partners to create something. And comedy is just a byproduct. I mean, we improvise every day. Uh, like this podcast will be totally improvised. And uh, what we do is we just use the skill sets of and tenets of improvisation to mine for humor, but others just might mine for a great interview or uh, teachers and listening and learning and Everybody thinks it's how quick are you? Oh, we've seen who's lying. Those guys are so bad. And it's not, has nothing to do with how quick you are. 
It's how well do you listen and then how well do you build on the pertinent information of your partner? So I don't know what I'm going to say until you finish what you're going to say. So it's about active listening as opposed to just waiting to respond. Okay. So when when did you realize you were actually good at this? Uh, let's see. We're 6,500 shows into the run. Probably about <laughs> 2,500 in. No. Uh, I don't know. I always, I always just, I always knew what to say. And, and it didn't translate anywhere else but improvisation. Uh-huh. I always knew I wanted to be a comedian, but it wasn't until I discovered improv that I really kind of found my footing. Because I was just kind of doing my impression of a comedian. Right, I started stand up in the late '80s, and I was just doing an impression of Jerry Seinfeld or Johnny Carson or David Letterman until you find your own voice. And it wasn't until improvisation that I went, "Oh, I could just be me," and that's good enough. Hmm. So, were you like the class clown in in high school and junior high, or? Uh, I really didn't have the confidence to be the class clown, but I would hmm. feed the class clown lines. And they would get laughs. I'd be like, okay, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, and then as I got a little bit older, I got some confidence. And, and I remember my eighth grade teacher getting frustrated with me and asking me if I was going to be a fool my whole life. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I shot back, uh, what did that pay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of have and been now in I a way. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Okay, I actually was voted most wittiest of my high school class. So. Oh. I know, I know. So do you ever come across people where like, I could see you doing this or you're, you would be a great person for improv or do you, do you ever see something in someone or do you not really know that until you're in that situation with them where you're doing improv with them? How do you, how do you spot people like you or can you? Well, it's really interesting because we teach classes. So we have a five level training center and, you know, pre pandemic we had hundreds of students and in any given level one class, you could just look at this class of 12 and think, you could see it, you know. Five are actors who want to be better listeners and better performers, so their agents said take an improv class. And three are people who think they're funny and friends say, oh my God, you're funny, you got to do it. And then three <laughs> or four are working people, accountants, doctors, who are tired of the grind and just want to push themselves out of their comfort zone and do something different. And those are the ones who are really good at improvisation because they they listen and they have a a worldly experience, a life of outside of comedy that they can draw from and use those experiences to help create scenes. Yeah, that's so interesting. And they're not really thinking about, I'm going to be a comedian. They're just kind of reacting. Yeah. Yeah, they have no desire to be a comedian. They just are tired of being an accountant all week and want to do something fun on Saturday. Oh, wow, okay. And I used accountant because that's how we met our accountant. So our accountant <laughs> of 24 years was in my very first level one class. Oh, that's And nice. I got to say, the guy is not funny. But he was <laughs> right? He had to be an accountant. Man. He would... He would lay out a hell of an account. I, I'm not in jail yet, so well done. <laughs> He's kept you out of the slammer, so that's good. So where did little Dave Wilt grow up? I'm a, I am was a Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm, okay. Nice Jewish boy from Oklahoma. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't seem... We used to go, when, when I was a kid, I grew up in Coffeyville, Kansas. Do you know where that is? 
I do know where Coffeeville Not a lot of people my, know where Coffeeville is. I do, though. My wife's family are from, are from Kansas. Oh, okay. And Yes, a little grocery store growing up. So we yeah. used to we used to go to the big town of Tulsa to go eat at Casa Bonita when I was a young oh, person. Oh my goodness! It was like a big a, trip for us. Now, were you a were you a cave person or were you the the tropical forest waterfall? Totally person? the cave person. Oh, totally the, the way, cave person. Right? All those suckers out there at the waterfall you can't even hear. No, it's ridiculous. And always wanted to go to the little the little bar where you got the the little toys, the little ridiculous trinkets. I don't remember what you could trade in for those, but you were collecting something and you got to buy little goody things. I don't remember. Oh yeah, Casa Bonita, <laughs> man. Uh, ponchos can suck it. <laughs> That's right. I never even we're heard of ponchos till I was an adult. <laughs> I never heard of ponchos till I was an adult, and I knew better than to eat that food. <laughs> right. I think if I'm not mistaken, didn't Casa Bonita have a flag too? And if they brought you sopapillas. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. I think I got it. I, got it. I think there's still a Casa Bonita in Denver. I don't know if the one in Tulsa is still open, but they they are still around. Which is oh, strange. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, where did the idea of 4-day weekend come from? We were uh, some of our best friends were in a, an improv troupe in Dallas and the famous uh, creative differences happened, which means my friend got fired and we walked out with him and then realized, <laughs> oh, crap, now what are we going to do? We don't, it was the only game in town. So we said, hey, let's go to Fort Worth. Troy Grant was the one. He said, hey, let's go to Fort Worth. And we're like, are you crazy? Dallas has a thriving comedy scene. Fort Worth's got nothing. And he's like, I know. We're the only game in town. Genius. <laughs> So we went out there on a Wednesday night. We found Sundance Square. We were looking around. The place was jumping. People were everywhere on a Wednesday night. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this downtown is incredible. And this was back in 97. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, God, if you're in downtown Dallas at 8 o'clock at night, your Greyhound bus was late. <laughs> That's so, true, yeah. And, uh, and we went to Fort Worth, and immediately they embraced us. And within... Eight weeks, we were selling out every show. Wow. Have you always been in that same location? No, we started a little tiny theater, 99-seat theater called Casa on the Square. Uh-huh. And then we outgrew that and, and ended up moving over to the old Caravan of Dreams space, which yeah. is now the 40 and theater. Yeah. yeah. Which is right. It's the Riata right next restaurant. To yeah. yeah. Yes. We, we were going to put a giant sign in the lobby that says, this is not Riata. Because you get out of the ballet. <laughs> And our doors are right there, and I would say no less than 50 people a night walk in. Oh, really? And, you know, like, no, 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 see, see all the four-day weekend signs? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to feed you, we're not going to feed you a nice meal here, we're going to make you laugh. <laughs> I just remember when it first opened, it was kind of, leg- you just kind of knew it was there, like it was, I just remember people talking about it, and it was just this cool thing in Fort Worth that Dallas didn't have, uh-huh. I remember that. So one, one time it, we went really to been a blessing. Yeah, what we went to see the rubber chicken. Was that in Dallas? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, rubber chicken, yeah. Those were some friends of ours, Sean Petrillo and, uh, and those, those guys were funny. Yeah. Were they in they, Dallas? They were. They were at Pocket Sandwich Theater. Pocket Sandwich Theater. Theater. Yeah, yeah that's that. where yeah. we went. Yes, yeah. I got pulled up on stage by them. I think they were doing some bit where we were getting free tickets to come back if they it, we would get them if they if I didn't laugh in a certain period of time and I had to sit on stage and actually win those tickets. <laughs> so yeah, is that a good thing? Is that a, is that good advertising? I don't know. I don't know. I they, mean, they couldn't make you they, laugh. So they yeah. couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of dead a, puppies. 
we do a complete opposite game, which is if we make you laugh, you can come back, but you have to pay. <laughs> That's a great plan. I like plan. that one. That's a good plan. So just to back up a little bit, what you mentioned, like, when you first started, some of the comedians, like, you kind of borrowed from, we'll say. Who were the people that really, the comedians that influenced you as you got started? Growing up, I was a huge Letterman fan. Yeah. Letterman was everything to me in junior high and high school. And David Letterman was terrible for my college career and my school career. But he was <laughs> instrumental in my real career. Yeah. He didn't come on until 1230. And, you know, we would I would watch. So I would be exhausted every day at school. But I could tell you everything Letterman did. Oh, that's funny. I mean, all those old bits were just, I was just, I was like, you can do that? I just remember saying, you can do that? You can have a guy live under the stairs? What? <laughs> you, well, you could throw stuff off a building? This is incredible. I, I didn't know you could do that. You can jump off a trampoline and velcro yourself to a yeah, wall. I, I could make it as an Alka-Seltzer suit. You know, it was all of that stuff that was just, I, I don't know, it just absolutely struck a chord with me. Okay. And I just remember, I, I know what I want to do. I just don't know how to get there. Yeah. So, you know, you flounder and you find your own way. And, and, uh, and then eventually you, you, the right door opens and you're on the right path. And So do you categorize yourself by, like, improv versus, like, mainstreamish comedy? Like, is there, like, to me, I mean, did David Letterman start as improv? Or those were bits that he did, right? When he, like, at the beginning. Yeah, those were those were sketches that they wrote. And, and I just loved his, his quips uh-huh. from... Oh my gosh! You, you know his his one liners and you know there's no way to rehearse this. Yeah, he's a little more irreverent than maybe Johnny Carson and Jay Leno and right. Yeah, yeah I, I, especially back in the day. You know, he got a little bit grumpy and a little more <laughs> toward the end. But when he was a young man, he oh my gosh, I I could not wait to see what he was going to do next. That's so interesting. I just, I guess I had never really thought about him as like, I don't know. I, I don't, I only know him as grumpy. So I, well, do, I don't really Well, I mean, I, he him. was a stand-up and then got into yeah, the I didn't really talk show that. stuff. So. I didn't know that. I didn't stay up that late. You know, my parents had a curfew for me. So, you know, I had to be in bed and couldn't stay up and watch all the David Letterman things. I always watch David Letterman I, things. I got a little TV. I mean, a little tiny one, probably a four-inch screen <laughs> for my bar mitzvah. And... <laughs> Then it was over. They couldn't stop me from, you know, <laughs> pretending to go to sleep and turning that little TV on and watching, you know, we only had the three channels back then. It's like, oh, Letterman's on. And I, I love Carson as well. I mean, I was young to really understand all the interview, and the, but I just loved how good he was and how smooth he was and how fearless he was. I think you, know. you were always a Carson fan, right, Scott? Didn't I love like Johnny Carson. Yeah, I, I used to stay did. up. I preferred Carson over Letterman, but I, as I got older, I was I was getting more into Letterman yeah. until he got really grumpy. <laughs> yeah, when he, yeah, he got the more grumpy. The more yeah. mainstream he got, it seemed like the grumpier he got. I don't know. Yeah. I think yeah, he was more happy being kind of on the edges. I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think I think losing Tonight Show just set him on a path of, of grumpiness. Like, how, how is that not me? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, recently we've gone through the pandemic and we were just curious. Okay, what are you talking about? Do what? 
What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? So how did that affect your business? Obviously, it probably had a major effect. And how are y'all bouncing back from what had to be a really challenging year? It, it was a difficult year, but if improvisation teaches you anything, it's how to be adaptable, mm. how to be flexible, and it really tells you how to fail quickly and move on to something else. That's just... So we were early adopters into the pivot of digital world. We have these two empty theaters, and we were like, well, what are we going to do with them? Let's convert them into virtual studios. And the hosting, uh, the meeting still continued. And now they were even worse than in person. If you thought they were long, boring days when you were in Vegas, have a long, boring day in your home office watching a computer screen. So we really figured out that, hey, that the hosting of the, the awards banquets and, and just this little spoonful of sugar throughout the day really is helping. And so we pivoted really hard and, and had a decent year. I mean, we didn't have ticket sales and and bar, you know, we, we would just turn the lights on and sell 850 tickets a week. Yeah. So when, when that went away, uh, but the, the corporate work still kept coming in. It was just virtual. Yeah. So we, we, did, we did okay, and now that the live show is coming back, I don't think virtual is going anywhere. So now the pendulum will swing back, and we'll have the live shows and the virtual as well. Yeah. So I, I think... 22 and beyond is going to be just, you know, the roaring 20s again for us. Yeah. People just can't wait to get out once everybody's vaccinated. And, you know, I, I assume late summer, early fall, things are going to be just jumping. Yeah. And we are opening May 14th, but we're doing it at half capacity. And, you know, it'd be nice to get some revenue flowing and be in front of live audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a guy that you're used to working, interacting with the crowd, what is it like doing a virtual show or doing like video stuff? How do you, how does that, how is that different than interacting with the audience? Well, it was, it was a rude awakening, you know, when uh, you would say something to an empty room and, and have to think for a split second, was that funny? Yeah. Did that hit? With do no reaction. There's no reaction, right? At least with a live audience, you know. That was funny. Keep doing it. Or, boy, that didn't hit. Move on. Or, you know, backpedal. Whatever you need to do. Um, you just have to have confidence in yourself and throw it out there and pretend, well, I'm sure they loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I know they had to love me. They had to love it. Yeah. Uh, so it was different. And then what we ended up doing, you know, it was trial and error every time. So we figured out a way to do some interactive games and bring yeah. people in. And then it was really like, don't host bring a co-host with you so once we kind of cracked that nut and had two of us up there we were just entertaining each other and it was fun for the audience to watch yeah when i've done corporate shows with you for a long time and y'all are known the four-day weekend people are known as like very professional very on time you know you always give more than we really need like you are usually cutting stuff because you want to give us more and i just remember this one time i think it was in vegas and the producer got a little confused on the schedule. So they were like, Where, where's David Wilk? Like, they were really concerned about you because you, I think you, had, you hadn't shown up in the ballroom yet. So we were starting. I was getting sad. The crew was getting sad. We're like, could Dave be dead? Because you're never late. So we were, they were about to go send security to check on you. He's dead. That's, what, yeah. that's your go Well, I thought something happened to him. Well, something it is, happened it is Vegas. 
But the producer had messed up and thought he was supposed to be there at noon, but he didn't have to be there till two. And of course, Dave was there at one. So he walks in and everybody's freaking out. He's like, hey, I'm an hour early. So I just remember that moment where we were all a little sad of like, what happened to Dave? Oh my God. Well, that makes me so, that makes me so good that I would have been missed had yeah. I been in Vegas. Thank you. We were about um, to do the wellness check on you. <laughs> Scott. You know, Scott has nothing but great things to say about you. In fact, one of the things he's told me about before is your yes and. So can you talk a little bit about that concept of yes yeah, and? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not mine. It is the universe's and it's it's improvisation. That's the building block and the founding principle of improvisation is the philosophy of yes and where you you agree with your partner and then you build on what your partner says. So you don't say no to your partner. You don't change the idea. We just don't have time for that. So I'll back it up a little bit. There are several rules that everybody has to play by for yes and to work. And the first rule, look, my job is to make you look good on this podcast. And your job is to make me look good. So if we both do our jobs, this podcast is going to be awesome, right? Yeah, right. Uh, that, that's what a live show is as well. My job is to make you look good. Your job is to make Prompter look good. Prompter's job is to make the lighting people look good. Lighting people makes the, the uh, presenters look good. The presenters make the product. So everybody's job is to make somebody look good. So we all do our jobs. Then the second job is to strike the word no from our vocabulary and replace it with this technique called yes and where your idea becomes our idea, and now we both have buy-in for it. Because no is a controlling word, and it just stops progress, right? Mm -hmm. Here's an example. Ask me if I want to go golfing after the podcast. Go ahead, ask me. Do you want to go golfing after the podcast? No. <laughs> okay, ask me again. Okay, Dave, do you want to go golfing after the podcast? Yes. And you know what? My brother-in-law is a pro. I can get you on for free. So let's, right? So now we're moving somewhere. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's rule number two. Strike the word no. Yes. And then yes. And, and rule number three is we have to work at the top of our intelligence always. Because I would never say anything dangerous or embarrassing knowing my partner has to say yes to it. That's not fair. And that's not making them look good. Mm -hmm. So if we all work at the top of our intelligence, there's a good chance it's going to succeed. Rule number four, on the off chance it doesn't succeed, I know in my heart of hearts that that was their best effort. So in our world, in improvisation, there's no wrong idea. There's no bad ideas. There are only higher and lower percentage choices, which we all make. But if somebody makes a, a low percentage choice at four-day weekend or on stage, they don't get punished or called out for being dumb or making a mistake, they get yes-anded, and then what happens is sometimes those low percentage choices that we would have dismissed as a mistake if we didn't know improv, if they become the out-of-the-box amazing ideas we never would have come up with because we dismissed it earlier as a mistake. <laughs> so that's where the magic happens is in treating each other like an artist and a poet and, and supporting every decision because they're not trying to tank it. They're not trying to embarrass you. And imagine if you made a low percentage choice and you were supported instead of ridiculed or embarrassed or punished. Hmm. Think of how creative you'd become. That's, that's the philosophy of yes and. This sounds like a really good marriage. Like, 
Oh my God. <laughs> it is so great for couples. You know, we're a yes and family. I have mm-hmm. two teenage boys now. And if they ever give me the no or the attitude, I, I, I you know, I change my posture. I make eye contact with them and I force them to come up with a yes and solution. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't say no. We, we look for a yes and solution to that no. Hmm. Now I have to, Everyone listening to this podcast like, oh, good God, this is like a Jim Carrey movie. Let me, <laughs> let me put this out there. It, yes, and is a philosophy, not a statement. Mm-hmm. I know as a father and as a husband and as a business owner that sometimes you have to say no. But what we work on is it being a, a not a default because it's easier or not a reactive no. If we have to say no because we've tried it before with mixed results or we don't have the finances or we don't have the resources, then, you know, then no is okay. But if you try to find a yes and solution to that no, then it still creates that yes and forward progress. And I could give you example after example how four-day weekend is, didn't say no but said yes and and found a, a workaround and how it opened another door and led to something incredible. Yeah, it's just being open to the possibilities of what could happen, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and everybody's so conditioned to say no because it's easier, and, and it gives you the illusion of control. And uh, so yes and takes you out of that world. So speaking of marriage, we have heard it's your anniversary today. <laughs> what? Yes. yes. 24 years with that beautiful. I have married way up. <laughs> so yeah, how did my the... wife came for celebrating 24 today. That is awesome. <laughs> and you. so how did your family handle, you've got a performer who's used to being on stage and all that. How did they handle you with a year of pandemic where you're not being able to get out as much? How did that go with yeah. the family? Yeah, I think they're pretty sick of me. Uh, <laughs> I, the only kind of arguments we would get in was I was on the road too much. I worked every weekend, blah, right. blah, blah. And cut to a year later, hey, uh, we're vaccinated. You think you're going to open those clubs anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it time for you to get out? Yeah, let me, I'll give you an example. Here's, here's what 24 years of living with someone like me gets you. I remember, I remember when we first started the I Love You stage 24 plus years ago. I remember she, she said, I love you. And she said, I love you because you are so witty. You're so spontaneous and you're so funny. <laughs> well, I'm the same guy. <laughs> and witty is now smart ass. Spontaneous <laughs> has morphed into irresponsible. <laughs> and funny is you think you're so effing funny. <laughs> and this also sounds like a good marriage. That's exactly what happens. The traits you fall in love with are the ones that actually drive you crazy yeah. 15 right? years down yeah. the road. I, I mean, bravo, you two can do a podcast together. I mean. <laughs> oh, we've, we've talked before. We should have some outtakes because we actually podcast from our closet. It gets pretty funny in here sometimes where yeah. we just, we'll either get tickled or we just are irritated with each other or whatnot. So it definitely happens. <laughs> so are you going? Okay, so here's the deal. Scott and I talk a lot about TikTok, and I mean, the stuff that kids think are funny, our kids think the stupidest things are so funny now. And we figured out, like, they don't 
like the buildup of a joke. In fact, I was, I'm listening to this book right now and it talks about teens that are reading less because they can't get anywhere faster than just a couple of seconds and have some kind of gratification of what they're reading or watching. They need these 30 second laughs and they're so very few of them are very random. Very few of them are. And listen, our son has a couple of 2 million view TikToks, So, you know, I'm kind of throwing him under the bus on this, but I think they're so ridiculous. So how, how do you feel about that? Like, are you finding it hard in this generation or how does that look for oh, you? Oh my goodness. It is, it is such a tightrope act, uh, to do comedy right now. And especially, you know, like the, the YouTube and the TikTok, the attention span is not there. Right. So settled in nuance gets lost. I, I totally get that the attention span that they won't, you know, they just need it now, mm-hmm. you know, they need it now. And as a performer of 6,500 shows who have paid my dues and grinded every weekend and night for 20 years, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just hit to this level. And then all of a sudden, somebody makes a TikTok, and <laughs> boom, you know, you know, all of a sudden, bam, there's Good Morning America, and next thing you know, they got a sitcom deal. You're like, right, what? yeah. You're honing your craft and saying it's a different world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can get stuck in that and be bitter. Uh, but I have some millennials that work for me that lovingly refer to me as grandpa. And they're like, hey, grandpa, <laughs> it's just the way it is. You got to adapt or die. And I'm like, all right, let's get on this TikTok, you crazy kids. You know? <laughs> so when you're stage performing, do you think that has that changed your performance any, trying to get to the joke quicker? Or do you still kind of do... Four-day weekend show is fast. Yeah, even yeah, it's in, already in the fast. World of improvisation, True. it's fast, and it's yeah. a series of fast things. So if you don't like one, we're on to something else. So maybe we were ahead of the curve on this. It's not a long yeah. form where you know it takes twenty minutes to, to pay something off, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just we just my sensibilities. You know, I, I I like to laugh. Let's find the funny. Let's let's find it in a hurry, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. This has really ruined me because for the longest time, I feel like I'm, I've always fashioned myself a storyteller. And I think about a story in the way that it should best be heard and the order it should best be heard to get to the best punchline at the end. So I don't know what to do with this TikTok generation. I just make hair videos now. I'm a hairdresser by trade. So I can't I, I can't get a point across in 60 seconds. <laughs> You should take yeah. some improv classes. I, with listen, for probably there you go. three years ago, I think I said, this is bucket list for me to take improv. And now I'm even more fired up about it. I'm coming for you, Dave. I want to meet you in person. I want to take this class. I would love it. I would. Lo- you would love it as well because it, 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 they're just great life skills. For, yeah. Even if you have no aspirations to take them on stage, you know, uh, yes and family, yes and in business, yes and in your life, it's... You know, we're entrepreneurs and residents at TCU's Neely School of Business, and all we do is teach this yes and philosophy to entrepreneurs and help them dream bigger and and think outside the box and and give them give them a roadmap and a toolkit to how to do that. Yeah. So the so class the, the classes really aren't just for somebody who's an aspiring comedian. They're they're just for a lot of people. No, absolutely not. Yeah. At part. Pre-pandemic, one of the biggest revenue streams of four-day weekend was corporate training, and, we, and it's just a yes-and uh, workshop 
that is about listening and line building and giving you techniques to to stay connected and not multitask and, and find a connection with the person you're dealing with. And there's no comedy about it at all. It's how to be a better creative marketing person or how to be a better salesperson or customer service. And, you know, our clients are, you know, American Express and Essilor and Southwest Airlines and all these blue chip amazing companies that have great cultures have really embraced this yes and training. Yeah. So are, you, is there, are there plans to fire up the classes again now that we're kind of on the, seem to be Absolutely. on the other side of Yeah, COVID? it's tier two that will probably open second week of June. Okay. We want to get a month, we want to get a month of the shows rocking and rolling uh, before we split our focus. You know, that's always been our core competency is the shows. Yeah. And if you haven't seen a four-day weekend show to, for your audience, we're not prudes by any stretch, but we try to work at the top of our intelligence and keep the shows relatively clean because it's just smarter that way. Right. And the happy accident or byproduct of that was, man, it translates really well to the corporate world. Yeah, you it know, does. 15 years ago, corporate show, what are you talking about? I had no idea this world existed. You know, and, and 15 years ago, oh, you were a sellout if you took a corporate gig. <laughs> But now it's like, wait a minute, you're going to fly me to Hawaii, you're going to put me up, you're going to pay me. I'm, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you missed an out sellout, but I'll take it. <laughs> are, your, are your classes like, I mean, is it is it once a week? Is it, you know, you have a set yeah, of four? They, they meet weekly for three hours a week, and there's five different levels, and each level is eight weeks. At the end of every eight weeks, your class puts on a show. Ooh. And oh, it's a, yeah, it's really fun. The, the level one showcases are some of my favorites because this this may be it. This may be the last time they're ever on stage. It may be the birth of an amazing career. But to see these, I say kids, but to see the students backstage and pacing and so nervous, and then you'll never have a more supportive show than your level one showcase because the audience is family and friends okay, yeah. who want you to succeed. Right. I'm simultaneously, as you said that I'm like so excited, like that makes me feel so excited. Also makes me kind of want to puke. So, you know, yeah, so that's, that's a good thing. I feel like I'm ready. Improv. That's what it is. <laughs> that's the feeling. So you still feel like that before every show do you get, is that adrenaline pumping and you feel do you I get, feel it every show. Yeah. It, 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 it doesn't make me nervous anymore, but it's there. And it's, yeah. I had a prop teacher tell me, look, that's, that feeling you're feeling, you could be paralyzed by it and call it nerves, or you can say, oh, that's my body's mechanism to remind me that I'm ready to do my best. Right, I'm yeah. Like, oh, my God, it's fun when you look at it that way. Um, yeah, that's good. Okay, so we asked you if you had a go-to joke, like the one that you consider a classic that never yeah, gets old. I, that's I guaranteed it, to get a laugh. Well, it's 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 guaranteed to get a groan. Fifty five hundred shows. I, I I almost welcome a groan as much as a laugh. <laughs> At least you it's know, reaction. I, it's yeah. Just can I make you? And this was my father's joke, which tells you how old it is. And but I love I love it on so many levels. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. All right. I want you to ask me three questions in order. I want you to ask me my name, and then after I answer, ask me my profession, and then follow up with what's my biggest problem. Okay? Okay. Go ahead. What is your name? Uh, David Wilk. 
Okay, and what is your profession? I'm a pro- I'm a professional comedian. And what is your biggest timing? <laughs> oh my! Yeah, your father came up with that. I don't know who came up with it, but I love that so much. Oh, I, I just love that so much. Timing. Nice. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's uh, and I just want to go back. I'm gonna. Go, I shouldn't, but I'm going to. Scott, I want to thank you for the story about my professionalism because that was something we decided early on that we are not going to be a wacky improv troupe. We're going to be oh, a professional. Yeah. We're going to be a professional group that entertains. Right. Uh, and that's why we always wear, you know, suit and tie. We're not doing the wacky thing. And you know. I'm a believer that we are so lucky to be able to make a living at this. Yeah. And I subscribe to this philosophy. If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, man, go home. There's 500 people that want this gig. Don't waste right. everybody's time. And see, that's why we thought you were dead in Vegas that time. <laughs> yeah. We're like, he has yeah, to I be dead. Up, I come walking in an hour early. And I'm like, where the hell have you been? I know. An hour early. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Dave, we surely do appreciate it. It's been fun. And four-day weekend starts up again May 14th, right? Yeah, fourdayweekend.com for tickets. Love to see everybody. Come say hi afterwards, and we'll... I would say I'll buy you a drink, but who knows what your listenership is. I can't afford that. It was a pandemic, for God's sake. <laughs> you can buy me a drink. Okay. That's, that's right. And I'm going to meet you in person at a, at a class sometime, for sure. I, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Dave. You bet. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, I kind of feel left out now. Why? Because you got to say your cheesy joke. My joke the, wasn't cheesy. Well. Okay, it was cheesy. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> and then Dave got to say his favorite joke. Right. But I haven't gotten to do my cheesy joke All yet. All right, let's hear your joke. Okay, so, Rebecca. Yes. Do you know what the state bird of Indiana is? I do not know what the state bird of Indiana is. The state bird of Indiana is Larry Bird. I got more of a groan than a (laughs) laugh. Larry Bird, the great Boston Celtic, he was from Indiana. Okay, you just said the magic words there, which is the great Boston Celtic. That's what he's known for. I know, but he was born in Indiana. Nobody knows that. Oh, people know that. No, they don't. Yes, they do. You should say. I just told this to Drew earlier and he understood. He played along. (laughs) You think so? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) He played along with my bad comedy? Yes, I think he played along. Oh, wow. This is, this hurts my heart. (laughs) It should be the state bird of Massachusetts because everybody knows Larry he Bird. lived in Boston. Right. Okay. I mean, I don't know. he's like the iconic green uniform. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'll think about this. You know what you need? You what? need to go to this class with me. And Maybe I do. And as we are done with this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to sign up for this class, 4dayweekend.com. Also, we are going to grab tickets. May 14th is going to be here before we know it. I know. It. I can't wait. It's been so long know, since they've been, been on stage. It's been so long. So yeah. we are ready to go. So if you have not already, onto that website and grab your tickets you should do that also like and subscribe leave leave us an awesome comment say hi to dave and party party five and a half over and out we'll see you next time